Warning, this podcast includes graphic descriptions of violence, sexual assault, and murder. Listener discretion is advised. If you are a victim of violence or sexual violence, resources are included in these show notes. I don't know if it's better to know this stuff or not. Well, if you don't want to know, you might want to stop now because I may be the man that ruins Halloween. Jen and Pony's Kitchen. Grab a spoon, a fork, some crime scene tape, and enjoy. All right, welcome back. This is our episode six, our special, extra special Halloween edition. Now, <laughs> what the hell was that? <laughs> That's scary. I know, that was like a weird noise out of nowhere. It, it was. Like it was on the wreck. It was sounded like chains from a ghost or something. That's really weird. Must that be is f- weird. I've, now we've been watching Stephen King all day. I know. It's like freaking me now out now. What's going on? I haven't even drank any of my drink yet. Okay, so <laughs> we're gonna do things a little different on this episode. We're not actually gonna cook during the episode. We pre-cooked some cheesy meatball monster skillet dip that yeah. we're gonna be dipping into as we talk about. Some really spooky, scary Halloween true crime. And in addition to the cheesy meatball monster skillet dip, we're also going to have Hopper's Russian Peanut Booter, an adult beverage. Now, do you know why I named it this? No, why? Do you remember in um, Stranger Things, there was Chief Chief Hopper... Mm -hmm. He got kidnapped and taken to Russia. Spoiler alert if you haven't watched, if you're one of the three people in the world that haven't watched uh, towards the end of of the show. But he gets kidnapped and goes to Russia. And you see him consume two things the entire time he's in Russia. He hit, it's vodka and then peanut butter. So this is actually a drink made from vodka. And it has Reese's peanut butter cups infused into the vodka and of course the recipe for how you do it and everything is going to be in the show notes as well as on all the social medias it's kind of like a almost like a chocolate martini yes smells smells good good. let's let's take a sip and see how it is it's actually pretty good it's very chocolatey peanut butter on my lips Mm, it's peanut butters (laughs) Mm. peanut butters yeah i put peanut butter i spread peanut butter on a plate and then oh yeah um, Mm. Put the rim. A little Reese's cup. That, that Reese's cup taste is just puts it over the top. Oh yeah, I guess you like it, huh? Boy, you could get really tore up on this. Mm. Toe up from Ooh. the flow up. It's good. I don't know if I can talk. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like a dog when you give him like peanut butter. Yeah, you gotta lick your lips. I put peanut butter on the rim of the both of the glasses. Yeah. And our glasses are really cool. I'm glad you found them. Yeah. Got a little skeletons holding the glass kind of thing. It's kind of yeah, cool. It's kind of cool. So how did we uh what was what all is in this uh meatball? 
skillet dip that I'm going to tear into here. Yeah, so I've used ground beef and pork, heavy cream, egg, salt, Italian seasonings, garlic pepper, onion pepper, and panko bread crumbs, and some little squares of, or cubes of Gouda cheese. We got some garlic bread here to dip with, kind of like a chip, but it's it's like, man, it's like... Know. I think you have to... It's somewhere between kind of pizza thick. or spaghetti or something. Mm. Well, that, that is the bomb.com. You need a napkin? Oh, yeah, I'm definitely going to need a bunch of napkins. <laughs> mm. I don't think you can really dip your bread into it. You, you kind of just to... put it on the bread. Or just eat spoon. it on the side, yeah, because it's they're meatballs. They're little they're definitely one are. meatballs. Cheesy meatballs. They got cheese in them. Yes, they do the cheese. So instead of like when normally, listener, we lead you through how we cook everything, but we've got so much spooky, scary, crazy Halloween stuff, true crime to talk about, that I'll let you to your own devices this time. I'll let you uh, look at the directions and the uh, the recipe and uh, cook this delicious dip. It's really mm-hmm. easy to make. I think it only took me just maybe 10 minutes to make everything and 30 minutes to make the meatballs in the oven. That's no, really good. It's great for a party. <laughs> I don't know if we should be eating and telling stories because mm. mm. we're eating. Oh, yeah, I, when I laid this out, I, I didn't <laughs> foresee that I would do do so much eating and so little talking. Yeah, so you better you better get with it. So. I'll eat. Let's get into these spooky Halloween stories. This first segment, first story, I call the Candyman, but he's more commonly known as the man who killed Halloween. Is this? These are real. All of these are true stories. True, true stories. True stories. Oh, By the great. time you finish this, you will not want to go trick or treating tonight. Oh, great! I'm telling you, it's terrible. Oh, no. It's very, very Halloweeny. Here we go. <laughs> On Halloween night, 1974. Little eight-year-old Timothy O'Brien is trick-or-treating in his Houston neighborhood with his five-year-old sister and a neighbor's boy. Escorting the three children is Timothy's father, Ronald O'Brien. While the kids are ringing doorbells, filling up their sacks with candy, Ronald O'Brien slips some candy of his own into the three children's baskets. Now, two of these are his own kids. You remember Pixie Sticks? The little cardboard tube candy has like the sugar, sugar candy stuff in it. The powder. I haven't seen those in a long, long time. No, me either. But those, I haven't really looked for them. Yeah, you can. As I'm telling that, can you remember like the feel of the dry cardboard on your lip yeah, when you like, poured it, poured all that sugar into your mouth? Mm-hmm. It was fun. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so. So he puts some pixie sticks into their Halloween candy, mixes it in with their Halloween candy, except. These are not filled with sugar. These are filled to the top with two inches of cyanide. Luckily, the five-year-old daughter, she didn't like the pixie sticks. She didn't eat them. Neither did the neighbor's boy, but little Timothy did, and he died. His own son? His own son. What was the father, Ronald O'Brien's motive? He wanted the murder to look like a random case of candy poisoning so he could collect life insurance policies for his two children. And that's why they called him the man who killed Halloween. What an asshole. It's terrible, right? Who would do that to their own well, children and ruin Halloween? So is that the end of the story? That's the end of that story. <laughs> so at least he was caught. They know yes. what he did. They execute him? Well, I think he's still in... Well, I, I'm not sure if he's still in prison or died in prison. 
Cheesy meatball. I don't like that. Story. It's like a meatball sub on garlic bread. And you know I like meatball subs. Yeah, it's your favorite. So the next one is titled, The Next Story on this Spooky Halloween Evening. Where's my candy man? Instead of candy man. First one's candy. This is where's my candy, comma, man. 55-year-old Liddell Peoples is pissed. It's Halloween night, 2011, and Liddell can't find his bag of treats. He's looked all over his house for his special bag of Hershey's, Jolly Ranchers, and Tootsie Rolls. He can't find them anywhere. He accuses his girlfriend, 49-year-old Maria Adams, of stealing his sweets. She gets pissed right back and throws a plate at his head. Liddell Peoples picks up a knife and stabs Maria to death. No word if Liddell ever found his candy. Oh my God. <laughs> so Where that, I told you I would try to avoid unsolved mysteries, but they didn't. I've, I've scoured the internet, can't find any information if he ever found his bag of treats. That's not funny. Mm. I'm the monster in this cheesy meatball monster skillet dip. I'm getting 20 pounds. I need a bigger Halloween costume. Let me wash it down with some Hopper's Russian peanut butter. And that was in 2011, that story. So it wasn't that long ago. Where did that happen? Like what state? I'm not sure I didn't write it down. Now the next story is called Don't Answer the Door. In 1957, husband and wife, Peter and Betty Fabriano, spent their Halloween evening answering the door constantly as trick-or-treaters after trick-or-treater rang the doorbell. Things quieted down and the Fabrianos settled down after another successful Halloween. The doorbell rings once more. Peter picks up the candy bowl and opens the door. On the doorstep is a woman wearing a mask. Her hand is in a paper bag. She raises it and shoots Peter in the chest. He falls dead instantly. Police eventually arrest Joan Rebel, who had been having an affair with Peter's wife. Joan had convinced her friend, Goldine Pfizer, into murdering the spouse of her lover on Halloween night. Oh my God. So they pretended to be a trick-or-treater and just shot him. That's terrible. This, how dare they do these things on the most sacred of holidays, Halloween. It is. It is big time. Did they think they would get away with it more if they did it on Halloween? I guess, like, perhaps nobody would notice somebody walking around with a mask on Halloween but night. But she shot him. No, then she shoots him. That's not... I don't know. It's interesting. It's interesting. It's a Halloween murder. It's spooky. Yeah. She's second guess. Like, so I guess if the doorbell rings before you answer it, turn to your turn to your sitting door and say, You're not cheating on me, are you? I don't want to get shot. <laughs> And this next one is the reverse of Don't Answer the Door. This one's called Don't Ring the Doorbell. Japanese exchange student Yoshiro Hattori was excited to finally celebrate in the American cultural phenomenon we call Halloween. He had been invited to a costume party on Halloween night, so he picked out the scariest costume he could find. Yoshiro dressed himself up and drove out to the party in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Unfortunately, he got the street number wrong. He was supposed to go to 1013, but he drove to 1031, the date of Halloween. That's right. Which is probably not a coincidence. Yoshiro walked up the drive to the front door, approached the door, rang the doorbell. 
The homeowner, 30-year-old Rodney Pierce, opened the front door and shot Yoshiro point-blank in the chest, killing him. He told the police he thought it was a, a burglar, a home invasion. On Halloween night, what kind of excuse you have for shooting people that ring your doorbell right. on Halloween night? But he did. That was his. That was what he told the police. He thought it was a home invasion. This is so you can't even trick or treat anymore. I don't even want to hear these. Right. <laughs> now this next story is called "Didn't You Hear Me? I Said Don't Ring the Doorbell." Halloween night, 2008. Sumter, South Carolina. 12-year-old T.J. Darisol steps to the front door of Quentin Patrick. But Quentin isn't giving out candy tonight. He's giving out bullets. Quentin fires 29 rounds through the front door with a fully automatic AK-47. What? It's insane. 11 bullets hit 12-year-old T.J., killing him right there on the doorstep. T.J.'s dad and younger brother are also hit, but they survive. Turns out Quentin is a drug dealer and a beef with a rival gang of dealers, and he was expecting the gang to carry out a hit on him. These people just don't seem to realize what day it is. It's Halloween. So this little 12-year-old, 12-year-old? Rang the doorbell. At a, at a random house, well, in their neighborhood. Trick-or-treating. Oh, I got, wish I had heard this stuff a long time ago. Because and got now... Shot. If you don't want to know, you might want to stop now because I may be the man that ruins Halloween. You're going to have to... Because people lose their minds on Halloween for some reason. Mm. Well, I think I like it when the neighborhood gets together and does Halloween. And you know, and then you know how you sit outside and give trick-or-treaters food instead of them coming to the door. Yes, yeah. Imagine it would be more difficult in a more rural-type area or something. Well, we grew up like that. Yeah. Like, you don't go down somebody's long, spooky, forested drive to see if they have any candy. Now the next story is called Bloody Hammer. On the Sunday morning after Halloween, 16-year-old Devin Griffin returned home after spending the night with a friend. As Devin walked up the drive, he saw his older stepbrother, B.J. Lisk, standing in the front of the garage. Two exchanged a, hey, what's up? And Devin went inside the house. Devin walked in and called out, I'm home. There's no answer. Devin shrugs it off. I mean, he's 16 years old. Goes to his bedroom, begins playing video games. After a few hours, Devin pauses the game and thinks to himself, I haven't heard a peep in hours. What the heck's going on? Usually, you know, mom be bugging me about something. He walked down to his parents' room, found the bodies of his mother and stepfather, bloody, beat to death. Oh my God. He walks to his older brother's room and finds 23-year-old Derek, also dead, bloody. The one he said hi to? No, the oh, diff- a different brother. A different, okay. His his biological brother. A blunt force wound to his head that killed him. Oh, no. In a hall closet, police find one of the murder weapons, a bloody hammer. And after finding the other murder weapon, a twenty-two caliber rifle, and blood from the three murder victims on his clothes, police charged 24-year-old B.J. Lisk with triple homicide. And that's the stepbrother that's... that was standing in the in the drive when the, when the boy came home. Oh, my God. The one he said, hey, to what's mm-hmm. up? And just passed right on by. Now, the funny thing is, Devin tells police that thinking back, he said, yeah, it looked like he had blood on his clothes. But last night was Halloween. I thought it was part of like a costume. Right. Well, I'm... But it was because he had just murdered his parents. My God. Why did he do it? BJ said, it was Halloween. I wasn't in my right mind. How old was he? BJ? I'm not sure. He was young. He was in his 20s. 
He was young too, I believe. Man, he just lost his mind. Yeah. I'm telling you, these stories are going to ruin Halloween oh for you. Oh my gosh. <laughs> now this next one is called That One Person Who Survived the Horror Movie. Two roommates, Leslie and Adrian, and their friend Lauren spent Halloween evening handing out candy to the trick-or-treaters in their Napa, California neighborhood. When the stream of costume kids died down, the three girls locked up the house and went to bed. Leslie and Adrian in their upstairs bedrooms and Lauren on the couch downstairs. At about midnight, Lauren bolts upright on the couch. She heard a scream from the upstairs bedroom where the other two girls are sleeping. Now, in a horror movie, what happens next? She stands up, slips up the stairs to see. To find out. Slowly opens and then sees the, the serial killer, right? Well, that's not what happens here. What does Lauren do? She runs straight out of the goddamn house, jumps in a car, and drives to the nearest police station. Oh, wow. <laughs> she doesn't even check on him. She says, yeah, no. Jump, run straight bolts. out the front door. And bolts. <laughs> run wow. straight out the front door. Both girls upstairs, Leslie and Adrian, had been stabbed to death. Eric Matthew Koppel, a friend of the girls, later turns himself in and confessed to the murders. Why he chose Halloween night and why he walked past a sleeping Lauren on the couch to go upstairs, Eric has never said. He just did it to do it. He just did it. He was just targeting those two girls and walked right past a sleeping girl on the couch well, maybe he didn't to go upstairs. Well, he's How never he said he broke in the house somehow. He was a friend of theirs. Maybe he made himself a key or left a window unlocked or something, but chose Halloween night. Wow. Now, this next one is called The Smiley Face Murders. Seems like Smiley Face is an ongoing, ongoing thing. On Halloween night, 2002, University of Minnesota student Chris Jenkins disappears. Four months later, his body washes up in the Mississippi River, still wearing his Halloween costume. Police have ruled his death an accident or a suicide, but many have tied his death into something known as the smiley face murder theory. Many young men across the United States have been found dead in bodies of water, and their locations where they were last seen have been marked with smiley face graffiti. It's a whole thing. You can look it up on the internet. Is that what his what happened to him? Well, that's what the, that's what the theory is. It's called the smiley face murder theory. They can and you can find it online, and they lay like lay out. A series of cases where these young guys go out partying or go out or are walking home or whatever and they disappear and then they're found floating in water but if you go to the place where the, the friends or whatever last say they were you see smiley faces graffitis on the wall and all of it is tied seemed to be tied together that is way is that how they found i mean where they had last a, seen him he was around a smiley face they where the area where he was last seen. They went back to look at the crime scene or the possible crime scene. Smiley face, spray on the wall. Now this next segment is called Trick No Treat. 1973, Fond du Lac, Wisconsin. Nine-year-old Lisa French, dressed up as the littlest hobo, walked out of her front door, stepped to the sidewalk, and began her evening of trick-or-treating. The very first door she knocked on, her direct next-door neighbor, Gerald Turner was the only door she would knock on that night, or ever. Lisa French's body was later discovered in a nearby field stuffed in a plastic bag. How old was she? Nine years old. The next door neighbor was like a serial pedophile murderer. And she she knocked on the, this was the 70s. She went out, she's a nine year old, out trick or treating by herself. And the next one is called The Cult of Sam. New York City, Halloween night, 1981. Ronald Sisman, a photographer and cameraman, 
had invited his girlfriend, Elizabeth Platzman, over to his apartment for a photo shoot. There's a knock on the door. Ronald looks out of the window and sees a group of people wearing cheap Halloween masks at the doorstep. Ah, it's just some trick-or-treaters, Ronald says. He opens the door. The next morning, Ronald and Elizabeth's bodies are discovered. It appeared that they had been severely beaten, then shot in the back of the head at close range, execution style. The townhouse had been literally torn apart. Furniture ripped, drywall torn off the walls. It appears the killers were trying to find something. While investigating the murder, the police get a call that an inmate at Rikers wants to talk to them. They interview the prisoner, who proceeds to tell them that this guy, the prisoner's former roommate at the prison, had previously laid out a detailed plan that some cult friends of his were going to carry out. According to this prisoner, his roommate detailed the cult was going to break into a residence on Halloween night. They would perform a ritual murder by ceremonially torturing the victims, then shooting them in the head. What was this prisoner's roommate's name? David Berkowitz, the notorious son of Sam serial killer. Police later sat down for an interview with David Berkowitz and asked him if he had any information on the murder of Ronald and Elizabeth. Now, Berkowitz claimed that the murder of Stacy Moskowitz, who was his last victim, mm-hmm. right before he got arrested, that that was no random act of violence. It was orchestrated as a cult killing. And the cult had hired Ronald Sisman, the photographer, to shoot the murder on film. Berkowitz's conclusion, and what he told the police, was that Ronald's apartment had been ransacked because the cult was looking for the master copy of the ritual murder film. Berkowitz was saying that he wasn't alone and didn't commit these murders alone. He was part of a larger cult. After Berkowitz had been arrested for the Son of Sam murders, according to Berkowitz, some of the cult had slipped him information that Ronald Sisman was getting skittish and that cult members felt that Ronald would give the master copy to the police to avoid a pending drug charge. Now, was Berkowitz telling the truth? Was Berkowitz only a single member of a wider, murderous cult? Or was the Halloween murder of Ronald Elizabeth simply a coincidence capitalized upon by Berkowitz to stay in the public eye? We may never know. That's crazy. If you were a camera person and these people came up to you and said, hey, you know these uh, murders that have been happening in New York City? Yeah, we're kind of involved in that. And we would love it if you would uh, want to film one of our murders. Uh, What's your going rate? I mean, it's not like, it's it's not a good idea to say, yeah, my rate's $25 an hour. Yeah, that's why, I don't understand why he would even agree to do that. It's like, you know they're going to kill you. Yes, why why would would you you do that? I don't know. But some, there's some people out there. Hey, you remember that movie we just watched? Um, Nope. I mean, that guy. Hey, there's this thing floating around in the sky that kills people. You want to film it? Sure. Right. You know, people go out in the jungle and film film tigers. People go out on the Serengeti and film lions. No, there's how do how do these type of people find these type of people to do I don't these know. types of things? I don't know. I guess maybe put on an ad. You know, cameraman looking to film murder for mysterious cult. Next story, The Wolf of San Jose. Doreen Herbert was a successful physical therapist living in a beautiful home in San Jose, California. Halloween had become bittersweet for her 
as it was the favorite holiday of her deceased son she had had with her ex-husband, Mike Dennis. The four-year-old boy had tragically drowned in their pool. After the drowning accident, Mike Dennis descended into mental illness, and he and Doreen divorced. But remember, I said Halloween was bittersweet. That's because Doreen had remarried, had a daughter with a new husband, and on this Halloween night of 1984, she was pregnant with another son. Imagine her horror as she was helping her daughter sort through her little bag of trick-or-treat candy, and she looks up to see, standing in her living room, a man wearing a wolf mask and holding an 18-inch machete. The wolf man viciously attacks Doreen, hacking at her mercilessly. The machete does so much damage that her unborn baby is cut out from inside of her womb. When Doreen's new husband returns home later that night, there's so much blood that he actually slips and falls in it, even before he finds Doreen's lifeless body. Thankfully, Doreen's youngest daughter is uninjured. Mike Dennis, her ex-husband, is charged with the brutal murder and still sits on death row in San Quentin State Prison. Oh, the one that went crazy. The one who went crazy. First, oh. put on a wolf mask and picked up a machete, horror movie style. Oh, There's a set. lot of psychology. Yeah, a lot of a lot of something. Because she was pregnant with another boy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sorry to ruin Halloween for you. Next story. It's called Don't Drink the Punch. Bel Air, Ohio, 2013. 16-year-old Ryan Brooks stayed out late with his friends on Halloween night. At 1.30 a.m., Ryan called home to check in with his parents. Ryan's older brother, Nathan, answered the phone. Nathan tells Ryan, this is the brother, tells Ryan who's out. He says, Mom and Dad want you home right now. Ryan says, Okay, tell him I'm on my way. Ryan tells his friends he needs to get home, but they do what teenagers do. They goof around. It's over an hour later when Ryan finally arrives home. Ryan's expecting to be in trouble when he walks in the door, grounded, maybe yelled at, but nothing prepares him for what he finds inside the front door. Painted all over the walls and furniture, are satanic emblems and pentagrams painted in blood. His mother and father, both dead. His mother has been stabbed and hacked with an axe. His father has been shot in the head. Then his head had been cut off and placed in the punch bowl. A note on the table reads, Ryan, I've gone to turn myself in. Nathan. Nathan Brooks is currently serving a life sentence in prison. The brother? The one who said, Mom and Dad want you home right now. So imagine if he had gone straight home. Oh my gosh. That's terrible. But it's a true story. It really happened. At least they know who did these things. At least they caught that guy. Well, like I told you, I don't I don't talk a lot about the unsolved stuff. Yeah. Not that this is any more <laughs> it's still Take very another uns- sip of this. unsettling. Yeah, this will make you want to drink. Yeah, all right. No doubt. No diggity, no doubt. Yeah. And now for our final spooky Halloween story. On the morning after Halloween in 2014, Rurik Judding called the Hong Kong police three times to report that something had happened at his apartment on the 31st floor of the Swanky J Residence Building. On his third and final call at 3.42 a.m., Rurik requested the police come right away because he said someone was dying. So the police, they arrive, knock on the door. Rurik opens the door. 
and they see a luxurious one-bedroom high-rise apartment. There's obvious signs of a wild Halloween night party. Liquor bottles strewn about, obvious signs of cocaine use, but also sex toys and a bloody 12-inch knife. Rurik pointed the officers towards a woman lying naked on the floor with cut wounds on her neck, throat, and buttocks. She was alive when the police arrived, but she was pronounced dead soon after. The entire time police were on the scene, Rurik Judding had been talking, as they say, delirious nonsense. Searching through the apartment after Judding's arrest, police discovered a second partially decapitated female corpse in a large black suitcase on the balcony of the apartment. The badly decomposed corpse was partially clothed, wrapped in towels, and had her hands and legs bound with ropes. Police examined the contents of Judding's phone, found about 2,000 photos Rurik had taken of himself with different dismembered portions of the dead woman, including the sex organs and the partially severed head. Judding was charged with the murder of the two women, found guilty, and sentenced to life imprisonment. Now this is the really spooky part. It appears that Rurik had been planning the murders well ahead of the Halloween party as he had suddenly, and without explanation, quit his job at Bank of America Merrill Lynch the Monday before Halloween and had left an automated response on his work email, where, in the signature line, he had typed, I'm out of the office indefinitely. For urgent inquiries, or indeed any inquiries, please contact someone who is not an insane psychopath. Wow. And he included, For escalation, please contact God. Those suspect the devil will have custody. That's what he left Gosh. on his forwarding emails. Oh, he is an insane. That psychopath. was crazy, right? That was crazy. Insane psychopath for sure. Absolutely. Let's try. I'm gonna try one more meatball. Get a lot of cheese and stuff on that one. These are so good. Yeah, eating and telling these stories. You kind of lose your appetite a little bit. I know. I'm. I finished. It's kind of, but not really. All right, now that I've ruined Halloween for you. Now, listener, we, I want to make a point that our good friends Dave and Carrie loaned us a shaker that they, they showed us, which was so cool, that we used to make this alcoholic beverage tonight. And you can find it, you can find it especially on Amazon. It's, it's I don't know how to pronounce the name of the company, but it's O-G-G-I, Augie. But it's called a Dial-A-Drink Cocktail Shaker. You can actually turn portions of the cup and it tells you how all the ingredients on how to make some of the most popular drinks. It is so cool. You actually dial up the drink that you want. It tells you what to put in the into the, the shaker to make the drink. It's pretty cool. It's called OGGI. You just look it up on Amazon. It's a dial-a-drink cocktail shaker. It's pretty cool. Yes, it is cool. Very cool. Now, let's get to, as if these stories weren't crazy enough, I've got a super special, super spooky What's in my shorts? <laughs> On a side note, what's your favorite Halloween candy? Favorite Halloween candy? Other than turtles. That's not really a Halloween candy, so it doesn't count. I like anything with... I, that's what I like, though. I like chocolate. I like Reese Cups. And that's it. I mean, I don't... I like candy corn. Candy corn's good. It's probably my favorite. I eat it any time. Well, you do only eat it this time of year. Yes. You don't really eat it throughout the year. Yeah, candy, I don't think candy corn would be good in the summertime. <laughs> and cir- you like circus peanuts. Yeah, that's, that's not, not a Halloween That's not candy. Halloween candy. No. That is a summer candy. <laughs> no, but I would say Reese's Cups, 
Tootsie Rolls. I like that for Halloween. Oh, and those old um, black and orange looking, they had the candy wrappers. I Over remember that, those, yes. Some kind of peanut butter. Mm-hmm. It had like a caramel It was thing. almost like a peanut butter toffee. Toffee, yeah. Something. Yeah. Those. I haven't seen those in a long time either. Yeah, those are good. I like mm. those. Those are very nostalgic. Mm. So, for this short, I chose a, sp- a particularly crazy story. How is that even possible? Crazier than these other stories. Yeah, that's not possible. But it's it's super Halloween. Super Halloween. Stas Wallace was renting a room in a four-bedroom Victorian-style house in Portland, Oregon. He and the others who rented rooms there got along well. But over time, they had all noticed odd things happening inside the house. At times, whenever no one was home, the renters would return to the house and notice that objects had been moved around. Bedroom doors that had been locked when they left were unlocked when they returned. Sometimes they would go to sleep and in the morning, objects would have been moved around. These strange events just kept happening. The renters were convinced someone was slipping in and out of the house without them seeing. At the end of August, Stas Wallace could no longer afford the rent on the room and ended his lease. But he didn't really have any other options of places to stay immediately. So the other room renters got together and came up with a solution. Staz could sleep on the living room couch for free for a couple of weeks. They're good friends. But I mean, who wanted to sleep that close to the front door with all this creepy stuff going on? So to make Staz more comfortable and for his protection, one of the renters took one of those wall-mounted decorative swords and shoved it under the couch cushions just in case Staz needed it. Taking it a bit further, the renters set up a Goonie-style booby trap a cup of silverware and loose change balanced on boards leaning against the front and back doors to alert the tenants if anyone tried to enter while they were sleeping. Late that night, Stas is awakened at 1 a.m. to the sound of silverware and change falling off the boards at the back door. He sits up, pulls the sword from under the couch cushions, and cautiously creeps through the house towards the back door. Stas rounds a corner and, standing in front of him in the darkness of the hallway, is a figure dressed in zip-up coveralls carrying a hammer and a black pistol and wearing a Michael Myers mask in real life. But Stas doesn't hesitate. He yells at the tops of his lungs, rushes forward, and buries the sword deep in the figure's chest. The figure collapses and doesn't move. Stas and the renters call 911. Police and paramedics arrive. Police remove the mask. The dead intruder is Justin Vladivia, the landlord. He's been coming in the whole time. Think of that. Someone coming in and out of your house, dressed as freaking Michael Myers, carrying a hammer and a pistol, and this guy's been coming in and out of your house. When did this happen? While you were sleeping. It's been fairly recent. It's been like, it's only been like a couple of years ago. It's fairly recent. Dressed as Michael Myers. Now I'm telling you, if it was me, when the police drove up, they would say, oh my God, we need to call the fire department. There's a fire in the front yard. Because I would drag that fool's body out and light him on fire and like chop up all the body parts and pour gasoline on it. And they're like, why did you, why did you do this? Because I watched that movie, man. Yeah, like I'm like, he's going to come back, bro. Six times. I'm going to light this joker up. No, oh, no, wow. I'm not going to do it. 
So, did you enjoy our special Halloween episode? We get to sip some beverages and have a nice little cheesy meatball dip. Ugh, I'm pretty stressed out right now. Yeah, you don't even don't even want the doorbell to ring no, for trick or treaters no. tonight. It's like don't just turn the lights off at this point. Oh my god. <laughs> well, we'll be outside. Yeah, we're gonna be stand outside with the candy. Woo, that's a good drink. Okay, well that pretty much wraps up our special Halloween edition. I hope everyone enjoyed it. Thank you, Jennifer, for helping assist with making these, these wonderful drinks and this wonderful dip, which I'm gonna to continue to dig into. Now that I don't have to talk anymore, I can do more eating. <laughs> well, I'm glad you enjoyed it. And I hope everyone out there has a great Halloween from all of us here at Forensic Fillets. Remember to like us and follow us on all the social medias and follow and join us on patreon get get the special episodes that we record extra 30 minute midnight snacks for you and also visit our merch store find all our cool merch there and we will see you guys on the flip side have a great halloween have a safe halloween yeah if you can oh. wow. <laughs>